0: Alright, so at the turn of the new year, we began a new series uh, before we're moving into what it, what it is, that who God is, and what He's like. And this new series has looked at what does it mean to be human, right? And so we have uh, been working through this passage week after week. We've talked about this fundamental reality that everyone who entered this building this morning is made in the image of God. And that that is a declaration by God about humanity that really is pregnant with meaning. And as we've kind of worked through each week, what we've discovered is that we've learned that this means that you and I have a purpose, and it's about Him and reflecting Him as His ways on earth. We've learned last week that we had a capacity for relationship that's unique in all of creation, first and foremost with Him, but also with one another. And then we've also learned that it means that we have this irreducible dignity that really fundamentally shapes our identity. But it also speaks, this this declaration that you and I are image bearers of God, speaks to our role as a worker in this world. And I don't know what, what you think about work and all the different thoughts you could have about work. I know that uh, when I turned 15, it was time to get a job And the Dillbuck household growing up, and I started at Winn-Dixie. Have you ever heard of Winn-Dixie? I don't even know if they exist anymore. They're at least not up here. Uh, grocery store, and i was oh, bagging groceries. And at 15, bagging groceries may seem like, you know, well, okay go get a good job." You know, that just, I, I was pumped, I was floored, right? There was certain independence that I had, a certain I'm making money, although it wasn't much, and uh, that I enjoyed that, right? And up before college I had a few upgraded jobs a few times, and headed off to college when I graduated there was an excitement about this next stage and, and what it would entail for me. And uh, as I moved into college obviously my main job was to learn and to study, but also worked side jobs as well. But when I got close to college graduation, I'll be honest with you, it was a lot more anticlimactic than high school graduation for me. Because when I graduated high school, I looked out, and this exciting thing called college was ahead of me. When I was graduating college, I looked out, and this exciting thing of becoming an adult and working the rest of my life looked, looked out at me, and it was a little bit daunting. And, uh, and really, what I was coming to grips with there was some stats I want to show you on the screen right now. And uh, if, if you take the ages from 18 to 65, the average American will spend 117,500 hours working in their lifetime in a vocation. That's if you average 50 hours a week, two weeks off a year, that kind of deal. And so here's what's interesting when you start taking those hours and do a little comparison. Over that same time period, if you were faithful to attend a worship service every week from 18 to 65, which let's be honest, not all of us are, uh, including myself, what that means is that you will spend 2,444 hours in a worship service. So you're going to spend more time working than you will singing songs to Jesus, reading your Bible, and if you got kids playing with your kids. Think about that for a moment. And when you begin to look at those stats, you've got to ask this question. Does the one hour a week that we gather on Sunday have anything to do with the 50 plus hours we're working throughout the week. And that's just, that's just working in a job. That's not working that you do when you come home and you gotta wash the dishes, take out the trash, right? There, there's so much more of work that happens. And I think for me, as I looked at those statistics, although I didn't know those statistics, it was daunting to think that that's what the rest of my life was gonna be. And so as you come in this morning and you think about those statistics, how does it land on you? Is there excitement? Is there such a sense of dread? a little bit overwhelming. Maybe if you're retired in here this morning, you're like, "Man, I'm glad I'm done with that." <laughs> right? Well, there's no doubt that when sin entered the world and infected all of creation, including us, that that uh, had a, a, a level of impact on how we would think about work and how we would view work. But honestly, you know, just a, just a, before we dive in, uh, the church's functional view of work throughout history hasn't helped very much in how we feel about those statistics and how we think about our vocations. And I would say the church broadly and historically speaking uh, really hasn't helped this ongoing conversation with work very much. You can go back to the early church, you can think about pre-Reformation, um, and there was a functional view that kind of the church taught of this idea of dualism. that had a lot of uh, impacts. but this idea that there was a sacred and secular part of life. There was a sacred part of life that, that was important because God was there and there was a work in it. And there was a secular part of life that God wasn't at work. It didn't matter. It was temporal. It was temporal. And when you took that view and you began to apply it to the idea of vocations, how did that shake out? Well, ultimately, what came to was there there were some folks that had jobs that really mattered and there was the rest of the world. And you can begin to think, well, what jobs really mattered? Well, it was the ones that dealt with the things that were obviously spiritual, right? So your clergy, your priests, your nuns, your monks, those people did things that really mattered. But the rest of you, not very much. That was the way it it kind of functionally played out and I'm oversimplifying a little bit for for the sake of understanding it when the Reformation hit there was a bit of a shift right so we rediscovered that the Bible teaches we're not justified by the works that we do our spirituality but by the grace of Christ on the cross through faith alone and so that began to change everything and one of the things that shifted was that, that, that the Reformation brought this kind of recovery of a biblical view of work where okay now I don't get brownie points with God for the type of job that I have that all of a sudden, all work begins to matter. And he can begin to be glorified in all that we do. But I would say that in the history of the American church, it it, it feels that we have given a head nod to justification by faith and applied it in a lot of areas. But in the areas of work, we've struggled a little bit. And we have begin to have this functional view of dualism in our day-to-day lives. And let me let me can give you a couple thoughts on how that shakes out. Many times, I think many of us feel that our jobs, what we do for the majority of our week, just don't really have much of an eternal design or eternal purpose. Can feel like that. Many, many times, we feel like the work of the church—you know, the specific things like worship and evangelism, discipleship—all the things that happen inside the church walls. Those are the things that really matter. Those are the things that I need to be occupying my time with and thinking about mostly. But the things that happen outside the church walls, if they're not connected to evangelism and discipleship, they just don't really have as much of importance, as much weight, that, that we ought to be thinking about it and be concerned with. And I think as a result, Christians have often been left feeling pretty unspiritual and, and without purpose during those 117,000 plus hours in their lifetime. And what we want to do today is to see from this passage in Genesis that God has something to say about this. And what he has to say is really profound and really matters for everyone who walked in this morning. And so the big picture summary, what I hope us to see from this scripture this morning as we continue in this series is, it'll be on your screen, and it's on your outline, is this. To be human is to be invited by God to join him in working to cultivate creation for the good of humanity. Let's pray. Father, as we come in this morning, we all uh, do share, every one of us, that we've got a role to play in this world. And uh, we are workers. And every day we are engaged in some kind of work, whether it be paid or unpaid, noticed or unnoticed. And we come now before you because we need your spirit to make your word come alive. I believe that your wisdom and your scriptures, your design is profound. And it's beautiful. And it's meaningful. And Father, each of us carry our own baggage, our own weight, our own different views of work. And Father, what I ask you to do during this time, in these few moments, is to make your work come alive so that you would bring more meaning and purpose than we could ever imagine to tomorrow morning. Because of what is in your truth and what you say about work as a worker yourself. And so Father, would you meet us here and do what we have no power to do to make your word come alive. It's your name we pray. Amen. So before we look at this passage in terms of what it means for us as workers, we really want to zoom out and see the broader picture about God who's image we made in. And so I want to talk about God being at work and we're going to give you a little overview. You're not going to read all of it of Genesis 1 through 2, what it looked like when God went to work and what we learn about who he is before we talk about us as image bearers and, and one of the things we'll, these will come up on the screen here, one of the things that we see initially is that God is engaging in different types of work that he created in order to beautifully complex and diverse world and as you read through the creation account and it describes God's work you see that God is involved in all types of work, I really believe if you just think on and meditate Genesis 1 through 2 and work through it you can find about every vocational imaginable there is there as God is, has vision, he's planning, he's forming, he's building, he's beautifying. It all comes out in Genesis 1 through 2. And so we see early on, just initially, that God is engaged in all types of work. But we also see that as God is at work, we see this idea that there's a process to work, that God created in a process of stages. So this is instructive for us. So,
1: God didn't just
0: speak and everything as you see it totally exists as it is. Now, God did speak and things happen, right? That's different than art, the way we work. But he, he worked and he spoke in a process of stages. No matter how you understand the creation pattern, what we see here is stages in which he built things together. And it points to him as a worker that he's forming and he's building something glorious and he thinks up and designs processes like thermodynamics and gravity and photosynthesis and brings them all into the play into the world in which we see today. But it, it was formed in stages. There's a process of work. It didn't just, you just don't do it and it exists. There's a building that takes place. And in Genesis 1, 2, 1 and 2, we also see God at work that there's a purpose to work. That all of God's work in creation was to cultivate a place where humanity could flourish. And so, what you see in Genesis 1 through 2 is that God is ordering and creating and building everything in such a way so that you and I could flourish on this earth. That we can enjoy and see his bounty and his beauty in all of creation. And it would help us live abundant lives. Like That's what that's what he was doing. That was the purpose of his work. And so you can think about, I mean, just the beauty of the sunset or the sunrise on a snowy field if you've got a farm, right? It's a feast for the eyes. You can think about a beautiful piece of music. How it's just, there's something glorious about hearing it. You can think about the taste of a perfectly cooked filet. You think about the warmth of a hug of a loved one. All of these things were designed and embedded in creation. Why? God wanted a place where you and I could flourish. That was his purpose in all of his creation, and all of his working to create a place where humanity could flourish. He ordered all creation for that end. And that connects really to the joy and work that we see, that God wasn't just begrudgingly at work muttering about just because it had to get done. Genesis 1.31 says that God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was very good. So God looked after all that he had done to create a place where humanity could flourish and stages and all these types of work, and he surveyed it all. And because of the meaning and what it, it meant to him, it was good, it was beautiful, and he delighted it. And what we see is the scriptures move past Genesis 2, and we get into the Psalms, and we see a lot of other scriptures. We see that God didn't stop working. God didn't quit after that, but he continues on to move on and work. And we begin to see the unending pattern, that that work is a process that will not stop. And so when we, before we begin to look at what it means to image bearers, we have to take a look and see that God was at work all along. Different types of work. He shows the purpose of work. He shows us the joy in work. All of those kinds of things. And so when we begin to move then towards Genesis 1, particularly 26 through 31, we start to see more clearly what it is that God's doing in making us an image bearer. And one of the things he's doing is that he's inviting us to join him in working. So let's look back at our passage we read this morning, starting in verse 26, and we'll just go through 28. It says this, and it'll be on the screen for you. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule like the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created a male, he created his image, he created a male and female. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And so what we're going to see here, just first off, is to be an image bearer is to be invited by God to join him in working as stewards. Where do we find this? Well, you've got these words, rule and subdue. And there's a linkage here between being image bearers and ruling and subduing in verse 26 and 28. So if you look on the screen in 26, the intention was to create us as image bearers. And we've talked about what that means is we uniquely reflect God. And it's a loaded uh, statement that's got a lot to it. But part of what it means is that image bearers we would rule over the earth that he created. and In verse 28, as image bearers, he blesses us as his image to go and subdue the earth and rule. And so both of these words, rule and subdue, have this idea of dominion and representation. So it's clear from the creation account that God is the king, but then he places us, humanity, under him as stewards over creation. Under him, but over creation. And so we don't interact with creation as if it's ours, our own consumption, as we want, but we interact with it as image bearers to steward all that he has on this earth. And so when he speaks about ruling and subduing, what I want you to get in mind is this, is that every person that walked in this morning, that God has given you a time and a space and gifts and abilities in his creation. And he's ordered all of them. And you have a divine responsibility to steward The place that he's put you in for his glory and the good of his creation. And we're going to get more specifically in that moment. But you literally are his representative to your little home spot, to your job, to the people around you. And a lot of times we think we're his representative. We think primarily in terms of evangelism. Yes, I am God's mouthpiece to the world. But there's something broader and even more, more holistic in this passage here. Is that you're representative to steward creation. And so it's just not by happenstance that you're here. It's not by happenstance that you're on the property that you're on, that you have the job that you're on, that you have the roles in the community that you have. You're here to steward all that God has placed in creation for the good of humanity. <laughs> and I want you to see here that this calls to rule and subdue is given above men and women. The text doesn't say that men only uh, rule and, and, and subdue in this sphere or culture and women only do it in this sphere. They're both given this call to move into all creation to rule and subdue. And so it is, it is normal for all different cultures to have different views of work for men and women and all those kinds of things. And we've got to be careful when, we, when our culture gives us certain views of what men and women ought to do in work and we bring those to the scripture because it's clear here that all men and women are given the call to rule and subdue the place where God's them, And so we've got to see that. But a major aspect of this stewardship is to further cultivate His creation. As stewards, our work cultivates the untapped wealth of creation. So we're going to zoom from Genesis 1 into Genesis 2. We're going to see on the ground what this ruling and subduing first look like. What this stewardship as image bearers look like. So we'll see on the screen here. But looking at verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden in the east, and there he placed man he had formed. So there's a garden planted, God placed man there, right? And then verse 15 picks up the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. So there's a role that given him. And then we see this kind of plan a little bit more. In verse 19, the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird in the sky and brought each to man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. And so you've got to remember where we are in Genesis. This passage we're reading right here is before sin enters the world, and so everything is good and without the And so what that means, this is critical: that our work is not a necessary evil, but is designed by God as an important role to join Him in continually to cultivate creation. It's not a necessary evil. It's part of the blessing of your role in this world is to work. And so what does it say about ruling and subduing? What would it look like for Adam? God is inviting us here to join him in cultivating the unpacked wealth of creation. You see it embedded here in two ways. Uh, So God could have made the earth in such a way that the garden did all it needed. and didn't require cultivation. Right? Couldn't God do that? Couldn't God put Adam in a garden and Eve in a garden and it would just do whatever it did and just like conveyor belt give them all that they needed for life? No, but he put it there to work it and keep it, to watch over it, to cultivate it. And what God's doing here, God creates all the environments that we live in, and it's loaded with a wealth of resources, and he puts us in it, and he says, I want to invite you to join me in cultivating it. That's what we see here from the beginning. That's part of what it means to rule and subdue. But you also see it here, and that God could have name all the animals Himself. That's just not what we see. God invites Adam to do this with them. And so what we're seeing here, that for us to rule and to do to be stewards means we're to work under Him, we're to partner with Him, we're to continue with what He began. So I want to give you a couple of quotes here, and uh, and are they're, they're two longer quotes, and I apologize; they just say it a lot better than I could. And so I want to start with this quote by Anthony Okeema that kind of captures the meaning of of this word "subdue," and then we're going to move into a quote by Tim, Timothy Keller that captures as well here that helps us. Uh, understand more of what god is doing here and giving us and so let let's look at the first book here two words are used in genesis 1:28 to describe this relationship of man to nature subdue and have dominion the verb and he's talking about the hebrew word uh subdue tells us that man is to explore the resources of the earth to cultivate its land to mine its buried treasures Yet we must not think simply about land and plants and animals. We must also think about human existence itself insofar as it's an aspect of God's good creation. Man is called by God to develop all the potentialities found in nature and in humankind as a whole. He must seek to develop not only agriculture, horticulture, animal husbandry, but also science, technology, and art. And so I love the quote because it gets this this picture here that the world, and really human capacity is pregnant with all of these resources that are just invited to cultivate and bring out for the good of humanity. And so God had placed these raw materials in our brain and in the earth, and for generations what humanity has been doing in a broken sort of way is drawing all of it out to create something beautiful for the good of humanity. That's what we see here. And we move on to this quote by Timothy Kelly. He says, we're to be gardeners. He's playing off the image in in, in Genesis 2 there, who take an active stance toward their charge. They don't leave the land as it is. They rearrange it in order to make it most fruitful, to draw the potentialities for growth and development of the soil. They dig up the ground and rearrange it with a goal in mind, to rearrange the raw material of the garden so that it produces fruit, flowers, and beauty. And that is the pattern for all work. It's creative and assertive. It's rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. So, whether splicing a gene or doing brain surgery or collecting the rubbish or painting a picture, our work further develops, maintains, or repairs the fabric of the world. So, both of those quotes working through these passages, tap into the theme of the Bible, that life would begin in a garden, but God didn't want it to finish there, that it would end in Jesus returning to the city. And it doesn't mean that gardens and open space aren't important, they're really valuable, but it intends that God wanted us to further cultivate all that he had. And I'm going to put an image on the screen here, you'll, you'll see this idea, this rendition of a garden, but you're looking to Manhattan, I don't know if you've ever been there, It's it's really... Wondrous to see in all its complexity and structure. And I put that up there because I want you to get this image. as as beautiful as Manhattan is and all that is there. God literally placed all that would be needed to cultivate a a place like Manhattan. It's all of its complexities in your brain and in the ground. Isn't that crazy to think about? And what God wanted you to do as an image bearer is to tap into that And he's inviting with you to say, I want you to do what I did in creation to take all this wealth that's in your brain and in humanity and in the ground and cultivating something beautiful for the flourishing of all the world. Isn't that amazing? And there's just not one job that would do it. And it wouldn't just happen in one year. But humanity would move towards this. Discovery after discovery Job after job, all kinds of different work and vocations to produce something that humanity can flourish in. And it was all in here and in the ground. We're invited to join it. God wants us to be with him in it, to cultivate all this untapped wealth for the good of humanity. And so to rule and subdue is to do what he did, to carry on his work so that humanity could flourish. So God is saying here that to be human is to work with him, and the scope of our work is the whole world. And one sense of what he's outlining here is the whole world is ours to conquer, not to go out and to subjugate just to exploit for our own good, but to go out and create something beautiful, to be productive to repair the fabric of the world to the good of humanity. And this calling really taps into every gift, every ability, every field of magic. So we are imaging God, being fully human in all our professions. And so just think with me for a minute. I just want to mention some of these things. I want us just to, to dream for a moment about what he's saying here in Genesis 1 to you and I as we walk in this morning. And to be a farmer who works the ground to create food for the world to eat. It's imaging God. In all the mundaneness of farming, in all the backbreaking work of farming, is imaging God. The engineer or factory worker who works on a, on a line to produce a product that serves society, there's meaningful purpose there. It's imaging God. The entrepreneur who uses business skills to cultivate untapped wealth in a community is imaging God. The artist who creates something beautiful for the ears or the eyes is imaging God. The accountant, who crunches numbers and form budgets behind the scene just so that a business can maximize its potential. It's imaging God. The educator. Without educators, there's none of this, right? Their whole role is to expand the mind of everyone they come in contact with in order to tap into the wealth that God has embedded in humanity to produce something. It's imaging God. The student who challenges their brains, who doesn't just coast by, who learns about the complexity of this world, is imaging God. The coach who helps a person develop their potential and talent is imaging God. The mother who gives life to and nourishes and cares for little ones is imaging God. But we could go on and on and on and on. So I did the math this week. Best of my knowledge, what I can tell, our church, in our church, in our paid vocations, there were 60 different vocations represented as we gather this morning. 60 different ones. And that's just paint work. That's not including all the ways we image God through volunteering, unpaid work, maintaining our homes. And what this passage is telling us today, that every person that walked in this morning, and all the vocations we brought in with, and all the complexities and challenges and stresses and boredom that can come in, all of those things, all of them, let me say it again, all of them, have great dignity and worth and value because in every single one of them, you're being invited by God to join Him in the work that He's doing in the world to cultivate a place where humanity can flourish. God has profound things to say about what we spend most of our life doing. And it's meaningful, not because we're holding a Bible verse up while we're doing it, It's meaningful because it's joining him to do the work that he does in all creation. So Grace Church, where do we go from here? I want to spend a few moments in application. To speak to some of the challenges that you and I will face face tomorrow morning when we wake up. Whether it means we're waking up early and going to school. We wake up and we're changing diapers. We wake up and we're heading into an office. We wake up and we're working on a farm. Whatever you're waking up and doing. I want to speak to some challenges that you and I face. That I want to frame them though as thieves. That steal from us the meaning and purpose God has given to work. And so, I want us to recognize first that the thief of avoiding work or having a low view of work it needs to be on the screen and you know, on your outline as well. There's great dignity in all of work, yet it doesn't always feel that way. So, you and I often look for ways to avoid work. And sometimes this manifests itself uh, by this idea of working for the weekends, right? That work is a necessary evil to go do what I want to do and have the money to spend on what I want to spend. That's a thief that robs you from needing God's embedded into work. Sometimes it manifests us by cutting corners or settling for mediocrity. Sometimes it it comes out working just to get by or trying to find the right job that asks the least of us. We think these things will go well for us because we're trying to avoid what we think is not very great. But in reality, what's happening when we have a low view of work or avoid work Is we're denying ourselves meaningful opportunity to be human beings, to join God as His image bearers, to cultivate all that God's put upon us. And for those retired, it doesn't mean that you're no longer a worker, but rather you're no longer bound by a paycheck, a boss, and a timesheet. That you can find lots of new ways to cultivate creation around you and not have to necessarily answer to a person and do what they tell you to do. Right? doesn't mean you're not a worker anymore that you avoid work it means work has a different role for you now and so there's the thief of, uh, of avoiding work or having a low view for your work there's the thief of our disdain for the mundane we got some college students in here some of you may be close to graduating when i worked in college ministry i'd sit down with all of our seniors are about to graduate and we one of the conversations we had was about work and one of the things that um I wanted to help them see is that most college students left would leave college with this unspoken expectation that I'm going to find a dream job that will pay me outrageous amounts of money, ask little of me, and it will always be meaningful. And uh, I hate birth trouble. (laughs) That's just not true. And here's the thing, it's actually a lie. And it's a thief that robs you of meaningful things. And there's a lot loaded in that, and I still struggle with that thought. Uh, But I would try to burst the bubble with college students. But here's the deal. If if you know me, I hate maintenance tasks. I hate mundane things. And the problem is, there are thousands of things I have to do each week that feel more mundane and meaningless and purposeless. But the reality is, when we have a disdain for the mundane, we are robbing ourselves of opportunities to understand our Father and King who does millions of mundane unnoticed things in humanity and in the world for all of us to flourish and so this thief we've got to recognize this thief of disdain for the mundane and then we've got to recognize the thief of equating work and identity if I don't know that we have too high a view of, view of work, but there's a thief of a low view, but there's a thief that, that mistakes what work really is, and that we can equate work and identity. And work and identity are different things. Your work is not your identity. Work is a role that's based on our identity as image bearers. But it's really, really easy in our culture to base our identity on our work, and we do so It's disastrous. I can be a, 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 taste, a case test for that. But the type of work we do, so here's the deal. When you and I quite work with our, our identity, when it becomes who we are, that we, this vocation or this job, what happens is that, what, kind of the result is the work we do will matter too much, meaning our achievements will matter too much. We will need others' declaration that our work matters. We'll need to be able to find a job that really satisfies us. And we, what happens is we place a burden on work then that work was never meant to hold. And it becomes too heavy. to it, Life becomes, our expectations become too heavy for work to handle. It can't be Jesus for us. It can't fulfill our deepest longings. It's not big enough or stable enough to hold that weight of our identity. And so it becomes, work. That, viewing work as our identity becomes a thief that robs us of meaningful purpose because it can't handle all the meaning we want to put on it, if that makes sense. And another byproduct that comes out of that. And this happens in every cultures, but we subconsciously rank jobs in our culture in terms of their value and purpose. And we might not write out a list, but there's often a pecking order. A business, entrepreneurship, college educated, high-paying job. Those things are very valuable, but the service industry, even a homemaker, those things aren't worth telling others you do. And it becomes this, this way, too, that we begin to think of a job only has value if we get paid well for it.
1: And so we've got...
0: Because we begin to equate work with our identity, we're putting all this thing on work to define us, which means we put certain values on certain jobs and certain vocations. And there again, thieves that rob us of the meaning God's desires for us to work as his stewards. And so we've got these thieves that will visit us tomorrow morning. Every one of us will be visited by one of those thieves tomorrow morning. It's certain. If you're like me, all three of them will visit. You. But where do we go? What's our hope? I want to finish the last closing application Is this. It's to remember that God is with you in your work and doing something for the world through your work. The issue in all of these things is how we see the work we're doing. Do we see it as God is doing something through this work for the world? And so really what I want you to grasp as we leave is to live biblically, is to say no to each of these thieves, which are essentially lies. That the truth in Genesis attached great dignity, not just to work, but to all work. That God has seen in white-collar and blue-collar work, work that will never get noticed or things. And again, when you wake up, God was doing millions of things through the night in our world so that you would wake up and have a place where you could flourish. And you know what? Most of us never really thank Him for it. And so think about all the thankless things that God is doing. And He takes joy that humanity has served. He's inviting us in those same mundane tasks to do the very same thing He is doing. And this work, although it has great meaning and purpose, can never hold the meaning that Jesus is meant to hold for you. He's the only that can hold. But when we begin to order those rightly, When Jesus truly is king and our identity is based on what he says we are, work can find its proper place. It's not too low, but it's high, valuable, and meaningful because we are his image bearers, stewarding the time and place God has given to us. So great church, when you wake up tomorrow, head into your vocation, whether it's paid, serving, learning, whatever it is, know that God is inviting you to cultivate His creation, where He's placed you. You're being an image bearer. Fully human in all that you do. Let's pray. Father, one of the things that I'm thankful for is that as I've grown older and read more of your scriptures, I've seen more of the beauty of your wisdom. And uh, in America, we know something about work is important. We're not necessarily outside the church have fallen in this trap of dualism. We really do look out on work as being meaningful. But we just don't know how to attach the right meaning to it. We struggle to recognize that first and foremost, we're created as image bearers to reflect you and have a relationship with you. But then you've given us a beautiful and amazing glorious role in this world to be your stewards, to rule and subdue the place where you place us. It doesn't matter if we're nine years old or 90 years old. You have a place for us as stewards. That's a beautiful reality. And Father, I ask that you would meet us to enlighten us. Whatever thief is wanting to steal from us, the joy and meaning you have at work, I pray that you help us to see it and to recognize it. To season and to remember that you're with us in our work and you're inviting us to join you and do the very same things you do. So, would you meet us there? And if there are those that are attending and are just investigating, I pray that one of the things that will draw them to you is to see the beauty of what you have set out before in creation. And so, we thank you. As we close and worship, would we really be able to sing unto you? with joy because of who you are and what you've done. We thank you that you didn't just come to rescue us and save us from wrath, but came to give us a real purpose in this world. It's your name that we pray. Amen.